one of the most common questions people who do intermittent fasting is what breaks a fast that's a very nuanced question and it's depend upon the situation in this episode of the body mind empowerment podcast i'm going to play you chapter 20 of my book metabolic autophagy the audiobook version and if you want to get access to the rest of the audiobook then head over to the show notes and you'll find the link over there do you want to know what it is body mind empowerment get stronger faster smarter quicker friendlier more helpful more driven everything the body needs control your mind what breaks a fast every fool can fast but only the wise man knows how to break a fast george bernard shaw You can find many questions on Google about what breaks a fast while intermittent fasting. Can I drink coffee while fasting? Will lemon water kick me out of a fast state? Do 100 calories break a fast? What about eating Snickers bars and cursing? Those are all great questions and you may get many different answers from different people. There are several ways people do intermittent fasting and for many reasons. What counts as breaking a fast depends on why you're fasting for and what you're expecting to gain from it. In this chapter, I'm going to go through all the scenarios and questions in regards to does this break a fast. The biggest beneficial effects of fasting come from three things, autophagy, ketosis and hormesis. IF promotes all of them to a certain degree depending on how long you've been put in a fasted state. The key trigger is energy deficit and glycogen depletion. Eating just 50 calories or even as little as 2 to 3 grams of leucine can already ease mTOR and put you into an anabolic state. Fat doesn't raise insulin significantly and it keeps mTOR suppressed in small amounts. Endogenous ketone bodies from your own body fat will stimulate autophagy which can promote brain macroautophagy as well. However, high amounts of ketones and fatty acids in the blood can still make you raise insulin. If there's too much energy circulating the body, then that's a signal to stop autophagy and trigger mTOR. Exogenous ketones can also be insulinogenic. In a study done on rats, they found that exogenous ketones promote insulin secretion when blood glucose was greater than 5.0 millimoles or 90 milligrams per deciliter. If you're a healthy person who is very lean and low on body fat, then your blood glucose will probably drop below that. If you already have excess energy stored in your body fat, then it's a signal that there's plenty of energy already around, and any form of calories, whether that be from bulletproof coffee or exogenous ketones, will most likely inhibit autophagy. It means that you shouldn't have small snacks like an almond. Well, okay, probably a single almond won't break autophagy, but you'd still be better off by skipping it altogether. There are some ways to trigger autophagy that you can consume while fasting. Green tea has polyphenols and other ingredients like EGCG that stimulate autophagy. Black tea, herbal teas and others like chamomile are also okay. Coconut oil or MCT oil can also stimulate autophagy in very small amounts by raising ketones. However, as we found out, too much fat and too much energy in the system will raise insulin. Any more than one teaspoon will probably have a counterbalancing effect. 
Reishi mushroom extracts are shown to increase autophagy and inhibit breast cancer growth as do others like chaga and cordyceps. You can take maybe one teaspoon of reishi or chaga but not anymore. Coffee stimulates lipid metabolism through the autophagy lysosomal pathway in mice. However, excess caffeine consumption may lead to higher blood glucose and insulin levels because of overstimulating cortisol. That's why drinking too much coffee may actually interfere with the fast. You shouldn't drink any more than 2 to 4 cups a day. Apple cider vinegar has trace amounts of micronutrients and bacterial residue, but it most likely isn't enough to kick you out of a fast state. It may actually boost autophagy by promoting the cleaning process. You can use the distilled apple cider vinegar during the fasting window and opt for the one with the mother when you're eating. To be safe, you could just drink water and salt. However, things like green tea and black coffee are great for enhancing the effectiveness of fasting by promoting autophagy. That's why it's okay to be consuming them in moderation. There's a lot of conflicting research around artificial sweeteners. Some are shown to be horrible for your health, while others can cause an insulin response. Can you add some artificial sweeteners to your drinks while fasting? Aspartame doesn't have any effect on the insulin response, whether alone or combined with food. When protein produces a significant insulin response, then aspartame doesn't seem to have any effect. However, aspartame is thought to be linked with many cancers and tumors, so I would skip the Diet Coke. Neither aspartame or zaccharin seem to raise insulin. However, in one study, they took people in a fasted state and made them swish 8 different taste solutions in the mouth for 45 seconds and then spit them out. Sucrose and saccharin were the only ones that activated an insulin response. However, in another study, they didn't get the same results. Maybe the subject's mind created their own placebo response by raising their blood sugar by will. You should remember that the next time you look at a cake or think about sweets because it may raise insulin. Direct transfusions of acesulfame K increased insulin in rats. It's definitely not the same as drinking diet soda, but it still matters. Sucralose aka Splenda activates certain taste receptors that in some studies may stimulate insulin. However, one study found that infusing sucralose straight into the gut didn't stimulate the hormones that raise insulin. Stevia can lower postprandial insulin levels compared to aspartame and sucrose. It's the only natural sweetener that's fine to consume in moderation. A recent review on low-calorie sweeteners concluded that they don't seem to have any effects on insulin in vivo. Zero-calorie artificial sweeteners aren't most likely going to raise insulin, but they may. The bottom line is to know how they affect you specifically by looking at your blood sugar levels. Even if artificial sweeteners may not spike your insulin, it doesn't mean they can't inhibit autophagy. They're also shown to have a negative effect on the gut microbiome, so it's better to avoid them entirely. The evolutionary sustainable strategy would be to not be bothered with these things and avoid the potential costs. The cephalic phase response describes the process of gastric secretion by a stomach before eating food. It's caused by sights, smells, tastes, and even thoughts of consuming something good. The hungrier you are, the greater the stimulation, and most of it is learned behavior. Thinking about biting into a lemon makes you salivate, not because your brain knows what it feels like, but because you've done it before. 
This serves as a preemptive mechanism for having enough insulin around when you do eat. In an environment of caloric scarcity, it's useful but not so much in a society where you can see empty calories all around you. That's why you have to avoid tricking your mind with placebo sensations of eating and attain an indifferent mindset towards sweetness. Don't use artificial sweetness during fasting. If you've ever fasted, then you can probably notice the utility of chewing gum. It helps to stave off hunger, keeps your mind engaged and tastes good. But I hate to break it to you. Sugar-free and calorie-free gum actually have calories. Shocking, I know. Basically, because the amount of calories in there is so low, the production company doesn't have to list it as such. The label says something along the lines of, not a significant source of calories. Hooray! Does this mean that I can eat all the gum my heart desires and still continue fasting? Well, that caloric quality refers to a single portion of one piece of gum, which has probably 2 to 5 calories, mostly coming from sugar alcohols and carbohydrates. You would definitely want to avoid gums that have corn syrup, fructose, high fructose corn syrup and aspartame because you know these are quite bad for your health and gut flora. Of course, if you're consuming only like 1 to 2 pieces of gum with these ingredients, then you won't have a negative side effect on your health. Granted, you're eating a healthy diet. However, if you're taking in like 4 to 5 and even more gum while fasting, then you'll not only break a fast, but you may also end up with some small microbiome issues down the line. What about nicotine gum while fasting? Will that break a fast? Nicotine in cigars and other forms of tobacco can have some nootropic effects that increase your alertness and cognitive performance. However, smoking is still bad for you and promotes atherosclerosis. I don't consume nicotine gum because I don't need it, but I'd suggest that nicotine will boost your mental performance in very small doses like 1 to 2 milligrams. One piece of nicotine gum usually has 2 to 4 milligrams of nicotine, which is the equivalent of nicotine in 1 to 2 cigars. Fasting itself also has nootropic effects, and I'm sure everyone who has fasted for at least a day can attest to the mental clarity and sharpness. When in a fasted state, you raise cortisol, adrenaline, and ketones, which will increase your energy and acuity. The concluding answer is that one to two pieces of gum won't break a fast in most cases. Brushing your teeth once is also okay. You just have to make sure you don't swallow the saliva, not follow it up with two cans of diet soda, and not stimulate insulin by starting to crave for more food. Putting a few slices of lemon, lime, orange, cucumber, or mint leaves into your water has zero effects on your blood sugar, autophagy, or fasting. Lemons and other citrus, however, contain calories, namely fructose, which stimulates the liver in a way to break the fast state. If you were to eat some lemons, then you're going to absorb the fructose, digest it, and thus inhibit the fasting. Whether or not it's enough to break the fast completely depends on how much lemons you swallowed and how does it affect your blood sugar. I dare to say that one to two slices of lemon have a negligible effect on the fast state. If the lemon slices are simply sitting in the water, then they're maintaining the fructose inside the cellular matrix without releasing them into the liquid, unless you squeeze them empty, of course. In that case, you're not absorbing the fructose either, which won't affect the fasting. The general guideline is that just drinking lemon-flavored water while fasting won't break the fast as long as it's not lemon juice or some sort of a sugar-filled lemon sports drink.
If you're doing fasting for health purposes and to promote cellular cleansing, then you can also consume Glober salt. It's commonly named as sodium sulfate decahydrate. In medicine, Glober salt is used as a mild laxative that triggers bowel movements. If you add 5 to 20 grams of Glober salt to water, you can remove constipation, reduce bloating, and clean the digestive tract. Any more than that may cause diarrhea and can lead to dehydration, so don't overconsume it. Bulletproof coffee. Well, the rationale is that because bulletproof coffee consists of only fat, it's not going to raise blood sugar or insulin and thus keeps you in a fast state. It is true that adding butter to your coffee will keep you in ketosis and maintain somewhat of a fast state, but I'm afraid it's still going to inhibit autophagy. This is not necessarily a bad thing, as you'll get energy and stay in ketosis, but you'll be missing out on some of the detox health benefits. Here you have to think about why you're doing intermittent fasting for. If you're doing fasting for weight loss purposes and adding butter or MCT oil to your coffee helps you to make it through, then go for it. However, do remember that you'll still need to consume fewer calories and putting an entire stick of butter into your cup will make you at least a few hundred calories consumed. If you're fasting to thoroughly clean your body from toxic proteins and inflammation, then I'd advise you to not consume anything at all and to strict water fasting with mineral water with these salts and teas. But does Bulletproof Coffee stop autophagy completely? That would depend on the amount of calories consumed and how your body responds to it. If you add like 500 calories of fat, then that's definitely going to kick you out of fast state and stop autophagy. If you consume maybe like 100 calories, then you may get away with it. It also matters what's the overall energetic status of your body. If you're sitting on a couch and drinking bulletproof coffee in the morning after having slept for 8 hours, then your body is in a state where it doesn't need excess energy. You've been sedentary and there are no real energy demands on your muscles that you can't cover with endogenous production of liver ketones. In that case, drinking that coffee will have a much bigger effect on autophagy because your homeostasis for nutrient signaling is much lower. You'll get a bigger nutrient signaling effect from smaller amounts of calories because your body's energy demands are much lower. If you were to take that same bulletproof coffee and drink it maybe at noon time when you've already moved around, taken a long walk, maybe had a workout or done some chores, then it's going to have less of an effect because your body will be under higher energy demands. In that case, your ceiling for nutrient signaling is higher because the calories you would consume would be allocated into use much more effectively and they'll be burnt off faster. You may still interfere with autophagy a little bit, but not to the extent as you would when you drink the same coffee with the same amount of calories in the morning, when your body doesn't need that much energy. It's not that black and white. Definitely not black and white coffee. This can be taken even further. If you do intermittent fasting for longer, and then you have a much bigger meal later in the day, like 1500 calories, then you'll definitely interfere with autophagy much less than if you were to eat two meals of 700 calories each. By the end of the day, your body will be that much more depleted, and the food you do eat won't have that much energetic load to inhibit autophagy completely. 
It's almost like your body is still shocked from the catabolic stressor of fasting, and because of that, it's not going to turn off autophagy completely either, whereas eating two meals is, is enough to say that, okay, we've got enough nutrients, and we don't need to keep recycling our own cells through autophagy. The same effect can occur with having some protein during your workout when doing targeted intermittent fasting after being in a fasted state for over 18 hours. In the case of eating once a day, I would say that you'd still maintain higher levels of autophagy during the meal and you'll maintain it after the meal as well because the body will use those calories for the mere essentials of energy homeostasis. Of course, if you eat too many excess calories, you'll stop autophagy, but if you do it in a very small time frame like with OMAD, you'll go back into it much faster as well. Now, I don't have any evidence or studies to prove these claims, but this is my hypothesis, and it makes sense from the perspective of nutrient signaling. BCAs. There are some calories in BCAs, although they're used for muscle protein synthesis. One gram of BCAs usually has about 4 to 5 calories, and a single serving of a standard amino drink will have about 20 calories. Therefore, BCAs will kick you out of a fasted state, but whether or not it's a bad thing depends on many things. BCAs play the biggest role in supplying amino acids and energy with muscles specifically. At any given time, the liver is releasing a constant supply of amino acids to skeletal muscle for maintaining blood sugar levels and supporting cellular protein homeostasis. This mechanism is supposed to keep your cells nourished with enough building blocks needed for survival. The common, most common said benefit of BCAs is that they help to preserve muscle while at a caloric deficit or when fasting. One study found that a group of wrestlers who ingested 52 grams of BCAs a day retained more muscle and lost more fat than the control group who didn't supplement. However, the subjects were eating only about 80 grams of protein at a mean body weight of 150 pounds, which is probably not ideal for someone engaged in such heavy physical activity. If they were to be consuming 0.8 to 1.0 grams per pound of protein, the effects of BCA supplementation would have been probably non-existent, as all of the participants would have been on an even keel in terms of getting enough amino acids. What's more, studies have shown how increased fatty acid concentrations have a muscle-sparing effect. This is most likely due to the body using more fat and ketones for energy production instead of amino acids and protein. If you're coming from a diet that doesn't restrict carbohydrates and maintains a glucose-dependent metabolism, then of course you're going to lose muscle while fasting. That's why you want to get into ketosis as fast as possible if you're doing intermittent fasting. Don't even try to fast for extended periods of time unless you've gotten into ketosis because you're going to lose a whole lot of muscle. It means that if you're in a deep fasted state with elevated level of ketones, you're more protective of lean tissue than if you were to be consuming amino acids and negating the positive effects of fasting. Leucine and BCAs do spike insulin, but they increase plasma levels of insulin levels temporarily and they have almost no effect on glucose or urea nitrogen. There are many occasions outside of nutrition that can also raise insulin and glucose, such as sitting in traffic, getting anxious, feeling angry, or even sitting on the couch. These examples may elevate cortisol, and in so doing, raise insulin and glucose, but do they kick you out of a fast state? Such insulin responses like that of BCA supplementation, or screaming at someone, are short-term, and not the same as eating a loaf of bread or potatoes. 
There are also different degrees of fasting, ketosis, and keto adaptation. Every person's metabolism is unique and has different levels of insulin sensitivity. It all depends on muscle mass, your level of physical activity, body fat percentage, genes, time of the day, how many ketones you have in the blood, and how many BCAs you're actually consuming. What's more, some amino acids can actually be converted into ketones to further promote ketosis, although not in significant amounts. With that being said, a good supply of nutrients can still be very useful in some rare occasions. Working out fasted is definitely more catabolic than working out fed. If you've eaten a few hours before a workout, then you have nothing to worry about in regards to amino acids and muscle loss, because your blood cells will be filled with BCAs from food. If you're working out fasted and not having eaten anything for over 12 to 16 hours, then BCAs can have an additional protective effect. The key is to time your BCA intake in a way that doesn't kick you out of a fasted state. Taking BCAs before a workout or when being sedentary will stop the fast and make you catabolic. However, if you're working out, then you're not necessarily in ketosis anyway. Heavy exercise, especially resistance training, releases muscle glycogen into the blood, thus raising insulin and lowering concentrations of ketones. That's why a hard workout can cause a transient loss of ketosis. Consuming a small amount of BCAs while working out fasted, like in the example of targeted intermittent fasting, will probably have a negligible effect on the fast, as you'll dip straight back into fasting ketosis right after the workout. Therefore, the only time you'd ever want to take BCAs is during a heavy resistance training workout in a fasted state. And of course, you can drink regular water, sparkling water and mineral water. The reason you'd want to drink mineral water is that when you're fasting, you're flushing out a lot of water and this may lead to electrolyte imbalances and mineral deficiencies. To prevent that, you can simply add a pinch of sea salt or pink Himalayan rock salt to your water. Also, consuming ionized rock salt will give you some iodine as well, which promotes thyroid functioning and prevents hypothyroidism. But that's basically it. All in all, you'd want to know the purpose of your fast. If you're fasting for just burning fat, then you simply want to maintain a caloric deficit. I wouldn't bother with trying to trick your body into thinking it's fasting by drinking bulletproof coffee or taking exogenous ketones. If you're already overweight or have excess body fat, then your body is already carrying around enough energy. You don't need to elevate your ketones after you adapt to fasting ketosis. BHP salts or other supplements aren't a fat loss tool. They're simply ways of increasing your blood ketones, but as we found out, too much energy in the system can have a counterbalancing effect. If you're planning to fast for 16 to 20 hours, then you'd want to boost autophagy with these compounds I mentioned earlier. You'd want to skip all calories and drink only some coffee, teas, and at the most, maybe take like one teaspoon of MCT oil with compounds like ginger, turmeric, and ginseng. This will help you to maintain a caloric deficit while still cleaning your cells. If you're fasting for over 24 hours, then I recommend you to stick to only coffee, apple cider vinegar, and tea because you don't need the extra energy from fat or the herbs as your own endogenous ketone body production is through the roof. So how do you break a fast? Breaking the fast with a lot of carbohydrates may cause an abrupt weight gain. The reason for that is sodium retention. While fasting, you excrete a lot of water and refeeding on carbs causes antidiuresis of potassium and sodium. You're gonna get bloated, but you may also have an energy crash of insulin. 
Therefore, you want to be eating something that's easier to digest and doesn't put too much strain on the gut. It also depends on how long you've been fasting for. If you're coming off a 5 day fast, then you need to be more patient than you would when just doing daily intermittent fasting with 16 hours fasted. Let's start off with the average situation where you've been fasting for about 16 to 18 hours and you're nearing the finish line. During your fast, you can drink non-caloric beverages like water, tea or coffee. Now that you're about to break the fast, you want to consume something that stimulates the digestive tract without releasing insulin. Apple cider vinegar is perfect for this. It balances healthy pH levels, kills off bad bacteria in the gut, stabilizes blood sugar and improves overall health. You can drink a glass of apple cider vinegar during your fast, but it's a great drink for breaking it as well. Here's what I do before eating any meals. 2 tablespoons of raw apple cider vinegar, 1 half of lemon squeezed into hot water, 1 pinch of cinnamon for better blood sugar stabilization, 1 pinch of sea salt. Alternatively, you can do this without apple cider vinegar as well and just use hot lemon water. In any case, you want the citric acid from lemons to promote the creation of digestive enzymes in the gut before eating. After that, you can also drink some bone broth. Bone broth is amazing and super good for you because it has a ton of electrolytes, but it's also packed with collagen. Collagen protein is what most of your body is made of. Your joints, nails, hair, skin. It helps to keep you more youthful and elastic. Drinking bone broth after your fast will also help you to absorb the other electrolytes and minerals a lot better. Your gut has been cleaning house for a while and is now ready to utilize nutrients from the bone broth as well as the foods you'll be consuming afterwards. If you've been fasting for over 20 hours, then it's a good idea to drink some bone broth or some soup before you eat anything solid. If you fasted for just 16 hours, then it's not that important, but still a good idea. Bonus tip. Add cinnamon to bone broth, it's magnificent. An alternative for bone broth is also fish broth. You cook up all the leftover bits of the fish, like the head, the fins and bones, so you can get all those extra omega-3 fatty acids. Don't just throw away these foods when there are still so many unused nutrients on them. When cooking fish, avoid boiling temperatures and overcooking because it may damage the fats. It would be best to steam the fish in some medium heat water for many hours and make a soup out of it. If you don't have access to bone broth, you still want to give yourself some immediate energy without crashing. Then you can also consume some MCT oil. MCTs get converted into energy faster because the fatty acids in it bypass the liver and go straight to the bloodstream. This is beneficial because you'll also prolong the effects of fat burning and stay in ketosis for longer even after having consumed calories. After you've drunk some lemon water and maybe some bone broth, then you should wait for about 15 to 30 minutes to let your gut absorb the nutrients. You might feel your intestines waking up, which is a good thing. To prevent a sugar crash, I recommend your first meal should be something small and low glycemic no matter what diet you're on. This will keep you in a semi-fasted state because of the non-existent rise in blood sugar. Some examples would be 2-3 to three eggs, half an avocado, some nuts and spinach. One can of sardines with some salad and olive oil. I wouldn't recommend you break your fast with red meat because it's more difficult to digest than eggs or fish. Meat products should be eaten as your second meal. The first meal should be still relatively small. In total, it should be around 500 calories. Unless you're coming straight from a workout, in that case, you'd want to spike muscle protein synthesis with more protein and calories.
on your second meal, you should eat based upon your desired anabolic catabolic condition. If you're trying to build muscle or recover from exercise, then it's a good idea to pick something from the mod tour group. When in maintenance mode or wanting deeper autophagy, stick to more neutral tour foods and eat primarily plant-based. What about breaking your fast with fruit? The best time to eat fruit is when your liver glycogen is empty, i.e. when fasting or while exercising. If your liver is already full and you're eating fruit, then that fructose will be stored as fat and you may even get fatty liver disease. Fruit for dessert isn't a good idea. But there aren't many benefits to fruit in general. If your liver glycogen gets depleted, you'll be burning ketones and you don't need to replenish your stores with fructose you'll be actually better off with continuing to stay in this fat-burning state rather than breaking it with sugar that you don't need. If you do choose to consume fruit, then still make it low glycemic and opt for fruit with more fiber like apples, berries or pears. Some citrus like grapefruit and oranges can be good as well. The high-carb fruits like bananas and mangoes should be considered more like performance fuel because they're more insulinogenic. Whatever type of fasting you're coming from, you shouldn't eat any more than twice a day. Consuming your calories within a smaller time frame is what this entire concept of metabolic autophagy is all about. When doing the targeted intermittent fasting, you can have the meals that span 1 to 2 hours, but it's generally better to stay in a semi-fasted state most of the time. Alright, that's it for this episode. If you want to get the rest of the audiobook, then head over to the show notes and you're going to find a link over there. The audiobook has over 23 audio chapters and it covers nearly over 12 hours of content. So it's definitely an amazing piece of knowledge about optimizing your physiology and learning more about autophagy as well. I would also appreciate if you could leave us a review on iTunes and the other social media platforms. Thanks for listening. My name is Seem. Stay tuned for the next episode. Stay empowered.